Hello, I'm Beth Kerr, Group Director of Wellbeing at Cognita. On today's podcast, I talk to clinical psychologist, educator and author, Dr. Bettina Honan about anxiety. Bettina is a clinical psychologist, educator and author of The Incredible Teenage Brain, written with Jane Gilmore and Tara Murphy. And it's talking about everything you need to know to unlock your child's potential. Um, And it really is a super book. And we're going to look today at how we can um, be more proactive in in reducing anxiety in our children and young people, how we deal with those in-the-moment anxious panic attacks, and also looking at where to um, look for external support if we need it. Welcome, Bettina. I'm going to start by asking you just to explain a little bit to us about all these different terms. We hear anxiety, worry, stress used a lot. How can we cut through all of this to to understand it better and support our children? Let's just start with fear. So fear is an emotion that is a very normal, typical emotion. It's actually, in a way, a very friendly emotion. It keeps us safe. Yeah. Worry is also emotion, but it also is a behavior. So worry can be a habit. Worry is the negative thoughts that go around in our head that say to us, you know, things like, um, you know, my child's not home, something bad has happened to them. That is a worry habit. Then you have stress. Stress really refers to the physiological reaction that goes on in our body, this kind of emotional alarm system, if you like. And it tells our body or our brain tells our body that something dangerous is about to occur. And there's a whole series of physiological effects when we experience stress. And then the word anxiety really is a combination of those things together. So it's the worry, it's the the, um, mental behavior of worry plus the stress, which equals anxiety. And anxiety really refers to something which is more kind of long-standing in a way. It can be very damaging if you have anxiety going on because it produces this cortisol, which is a kind of stress hormone in your body um, or in your brain and has, um, it can be very damaging long-term to be in a state of anxiety for a kind of chronic and persistent period of time. So what what would the impact of that be on a, a child or young person? Well, the impact, if you think about what happens when we have stress, when stress happens in our body, um, our brain, I mean, the most amazing thing actually about our brains is that we have this stress reaction, which is very helpful for us. We go into this state of what people probably have heard of called fight, flight or freeze, which basically means that oxygenated blood is sent around the body. Your body gets in a state ready to fight if needed, to flight, to run or or to kind of freeze. And it's a real safety behavior. But because um, what our brains are able to do is just with a thought. So sitting here now, I could have a thought and trigger that whole physiological reaction in my body when there is no threat. Yeah. Now that is unhelpful because there's nothing, there's, there's nowhere to go with that cortisol, with all of that blood that's rushing yeah. around my body. It doesn't serve a purpose. It doesn't serve a purpose, exactly. So it can be really damaging. And we know that the um, developing brain um, and particularly the teenage brain has a, a, has a, um, a kind of quite extreme um, chronic or not, not chronic, an extreme stress response okay. producing cortisol. And too much of that in the brain can be damaging to brain development. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know whether this is just I'm picking this up anecdotally Mm. or we we read it in the papers about there 
being a real increase in anxiety and mm. diagnosed clinical anxiety in children and young people. Yeah. Um, what do you think might have, might have caused that, if that's something that you're seeing in your yeah. practice? Well, of course, we're at the end of a year of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it would be fair to say, and I think there's evidence, um, anecdotal and from the data, that there is an increase in anxiety throughout the population. We are in this unprecedented time of uncertainty um, apart from the health anxiety around. So that's definitely um, something to do with it. I think at the same time, there's also been a real increase in recent years, which is very positive, a real increase in awareness of mental health. Yeah. That is a really positive thing. I think the danger is that what we read as um, a kind of the normal, typical ups and downs of emotional health, which we all have, just like we have the ups and downs of physical health, yeah. If that gets read as a mental health disorder, um, when it's not really a disorder, um, I think that is maybe, I mean, that in itself almost has a life of its own. You think, yeah. oh my God, I'm anxious. There's something wrong with me or my child so is anxious. It becomes anxious. your identity wrong almost. With them. That's right, exactly. Yeah. And we have to, one of the things I think is really important as the adults around, you know, the teachers and the parents, is to recognise and remember that emotional health waxes and wanes. It's yeah. a normal part of life. It, it, most people in the population will have a panic attack at some point in their life. That does not mean that you have an anxiety disorder or okay. you have a panic disorder. No. And knowing and understanding that, I think, is really important. I think we, we there are so many different types of anxiety. It was mm. beyond the scope of, of our um, chat today. But in the Be Well comments, we will explore the different types of anxiety yeah. um, just to give a little bit more context for, for parents um, mm. who may be feeling that. Um, okay. I think some some of you know going through all those different stages of worry and stress, and maybe the difficult thing is for a parent to know. Mm. Yeah, it's reassuring to know that there's those different stages. But how do I know when I should be worried, mm. or whether I should just ignore it? Mm. You know, what, what what advice would you give parents in that regard? Yeah, that's a it's an important question. So uh, there are certain situations where we would expect children to feel anxious. So, for example, going into a new situation, transitioning to a new school. Yeah trying something that you haven't done before. You know, anxiety arises when we don't know what's coming, when okay. there's uncertainty. So we would expect that to happen. Um, and it would be kind of typical. And we can think about what we might do in that situation to support young people. Um, the, the times when it is abnormal and something more to worry about is when it's really having an impact on functioning. So if a young person is not able to do something that either they want to do or they should be doing at a de that's developmentally appropriate for their age. So for example, if a young child is not able to go to school because of their anxiety, that is um, abnormal and we would say that's really getting in the way of functioning. But that is also true for other things in life. Like if you have a young person who really wants to go to the party, but actually they just feel too nervous about it, that might be a time when we say, you know, this is, something that we need to do something about. I mean, the other really important thing that I think parents can get drawn into, which is important to be aware of, is that um, what we do when we feel anxious about something, we want to avoid it. Yeah. Because then it reduces the stress. And what we can do sometimes as parents is accommodate a little bit too much so that the child yeah. never gets used to doing 
the thing that they're worried about. You, as a parent, you don't want to put your child through something like exactly. that. Exactly. And I think your question is, as a parent, how do I know? When do I push? push exactly. When do I allow? So just to give you a kind of real example, let's think about a child, for example, who is anxious about going upstairs on their own. So their thought is something scary is going on upstairs. So the parent goes with them. That instantly reduces their stress. Yeah. So their brain and the brain learns that very, very quickly. That is the thing I need. And then they they believe, their brain believes, and they start to believe that they need their parent in order to regulate the anxiety. Mm. And then you're in a maintenance cycle. Okay. And we get in these maintenance cycles. And if parents start to think about the little things they do for their child, we do it more than we think. Yeah, you <sighs> yeah. really do, don't you? Yeah. That is so not in a good that, idea. in that situation, you know, you've got your child and they need to go to bed. You know that sleep is yeah. really t important. You've yeah. maybe got a million things to do. What, what should you do? Yeah. So I would say there are, there's, can I just um, explain a little bit about the brain? Because yeah. I think it's yeah, quite helpful. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is quite a crude understanding of the brain in some ways, but yeah. I think it's a really helpful one. We have um, uh, emotional parts of the brain, which tend to be in the lower parts of the brain. And when we are feeling emotional, when we're feeling scared, it sets off this siren, this kind of alarm system yeah. in our brain. We also have a thinking part of our brain over the top, which is called the cortex. Dan Siegel has written a lot about this. He has this kind of hand model of the brain. Yes. Have you seen that? So you put your hand up this, you put your thumb over and the thumb is the, this is where the big emotions yes. are. This is the thinking brain. You put the fingers over the thumb. The fingers over. Yeah. And the two are connected. I don't yeah. know if, if you can see that. Um, and what he says is sometimes we flip our lids. Yes, and so the your fingers stand up, upright. Exactly. Yeah. It's quite helpful for thinking about anger. But when we're thinking about anxiety, what actually happens is when a child is really emotional and having that kind of panic, they are really functioning in their lower brain. So actually, that is not the time to do any talking. That is not the time to start explaining to them. Yeah. This is the reason why yeah. school that, you know, going to bed is OK. Yeah. I have to get up in the morning. You need not, to get They can't access sleep. it. They I'm listening. can't access it. That's not the time to do it. So at that time, I mean, we can talk a lot about parents needing to help themselves keep calm, which I know can be hard. Mm -hmm. But it's very important for parents to keep calm in that moment and just really keep the talking to the minimal minimum. Stick to what you're doing and keep moving them to bed and then later at another time in the daytime when everyone's in their thinking brain you have to have a conversation about it yeah so I suppose what I'm saying is in that moment that is not the time that, to fix it yeah you have to just get through in that moment and then later on at another time you sit down you have a conversation there's no shaming about it there's no, you don't start with, you ruined my day by not <laughs> going to sleep. <laughs> you start really positively. I could see you were really struggling going to bed last night. Let's have a think about that because, you know, we don't want, it's not a nice way to go to bed. We need to find a, you know, a calmer way to go to bed. It's going to be easier for you to go to sleep or something like that. And you make a plan and then you think about little strategies. So identify their need. But mom, I hate it when... You know, I really want you to be there. So you say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to read with you. Maybe, you know, they need you. I'm going to leave you. I don't know, my T-shirt. Yeah. Maybe you do yeah. that in the interim or something that kind of identifies you. their need. And then you say, and this is what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to walk out and I'm going to be absolutely going to be downstairs. Um, and it won't go beautifully smoothly the first time you do that. But you've set it up 
and you reinforce, reinforce, calmly reinforce and keep going and the child will learn that that is what's going to happen. Yeah, so it's, I, I, I definitely have done that in the past of, uh, when my, my son is thirsty and I'm yeah. trying to explain to him the, the, why he should be more going to drink. And you're yeah. right, it's no point doing it then. I should they just choose my listen. time more it's carefully. Really, um, to acknowledge, Beth, it's really hard. Is it? Okay, you're it's making hard. me sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So it, I think, you know, parents uh, are, as you said, you know, they're often worried about making it worse, not sure, mm. you know, what to spot. So, so you say the sort of do's are to really um, look at what is... Uh, normal in your child's life and if they're sort of avoiding mm. things not just sort of let it you know let it go mm. and then sort of perhaps seek help and um, are there are there sort of preventative things that we can do to you know ensure that our children mm. don't become too anxious yeah one thing that i think is really important is just to talk about emotions as part of everyday life we have emotions. We all have these difficult emotions. Yeah. They're, they're there in order to protect us. So um, I would really advise everybody to increase the discussion of emotions, even the difficult ones, accepting them, talking about when they show up. And that... In everybody, in, in, in your everybody, life as well. Okay. Exactly, exactly. We know that as human beings, we are very diverse. And, you know, there, I'm giving you some kind of blanket ideas for yes. what to do. but Every child is different. We know that there is a strong genetic component to anxiety. So some children will be born inherently more prone towards anxiety. Okay. Now that's not deterministic. That doesn't mean they are going to end up with an anxiety disorder. It means that they are going to struggle with anxiety a little bit more maybe than the other child. Okay. Then there are also children who have what we would call neurodevelopmental conditions. Um, for example, somebody with an autism spectrum disorder. Um, will need certain accommodations and adjustments to the world in order to um, allow them to function. Their brain functions slightly differently. Yeah. So I just think it's important to be really aware of that. So know your child, take time to understand your child. And I suppose the other thing that's really, really important is thinking about our own behaviour as adults. Now, one of the most powerful ways in which children learn from us is by modelling. So they are watching what we do. I know <laughs> it's quite um, an overwhelming thought, but um, they're watching what we do all the time. Yeah. If you struggle with anxiety yourself as a parent, I think it's important to try to really get some help for that yeah. and work that out. And also when your child brings you something, when your child comes to you and says, I'm worried about this, you need to check your own reaction. If you freak out as well and go, oh, my God. You've been dropped from the football team. Yeah. What? Oh, my God. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's unhelpful. But also shaming or dismissing it is just as unhelpful. Yes. That's ridiculous. Don't be so silly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, I like this idea and I think it's kind of easier to think about with younger children is that children really see the world through our eyes in many ways. Yeah. You know, when you're with a little child, and you're out and about and they hear a noise, they look up at you, don't they? They look up to see what your reaction, reaction is. And that's the way in which they learn about the world and work out what the world is like. The same is true as this. If, you, if they come to you and tell you something and you show a very extreme reaction in any way, they're going to struggle much more to regulate that in themselves. So it's that not, not 
not dismissing and equally not you know catastrophizing exactly. it. And like, do, is that the same also not just when they come home but if you know if your husband comes home from work and he says oh you know I've um yeah I'll say lost my job but let's mm -hmm. say he did say something you know that was yeah. serious, that that if your children were there yeah trying to have a more okay that's you yeah. know more measured yeah which is difficult to do but I suppose being aware of what they see is powerful yeah yeah, absolutely. It's not about having to be a parent with no emotions. No, 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 absolutely. But kind of naming it. And you okay. can say to your child, you know, I'm feeling quite anxious at the moment because, you know, don't give them the world of your, you know, yes, put the worries on, on your shoulder. Yeah. But own those negative emotions and you're modeling that to them as well. Yeah. And then you have a child who's going to say to you as you're going into school, mum, I'm feeling worried about such and such. And we don't go, oh, don't be ridiculous, you'll be fine. We say, tell me about the worry. Let's have a think about that. You know, what's the thoughts in your head telling you? So we allow conversation. And if you allow conversation and validating their emotions, validating their experience, which is not the same as agreeing with it or saying it's okay, but, you know, using comments like, I can see that you're really struggling. I can see that you're worrying right now. It doesn't mean you're not going to do it, no. but you're acknowledging that so that's they feel what's it. happening. That uh, is a really, really important step in supporting kids. And I guess they could see if you were, if you were feeling anxious, they would then see what you did. So if you, exactly, I don't know what sort of things you should do if you're feeling anxious, but you know, yeah. the, 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 I guess the modelling the behaviour is another thing that they mm. could. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think, you know, there's been a lot of talk about mindfulness, hasn't yeah. there? There's a lot of talk about mindfulness and meditation and the power of that. I mean, one of the things that I think is really fascinating is that there is a very strong relationship between the lungs and the brain. And what happens when we start to panic is we start to breathe more quickly. And that tells our brain there's something dangerous going on. And actually, I don't, I couldn't tell you the whole biology of it, yeah. but I understand that there are some sensors in the lungs that when you start to breathe more slowly, they give a message to the brain yeah. that things are okay. So it's a hard thing to do when you're panicking, but one of the things that you can model and you can help your child with is that when you are feeling anxious about something, three breaths in, three breaths out, three breaths in, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. So really, the there is a, such a, a connection between the brain and the body, and that's perhaps why you see sportsmen, you know, doing little rituals just before they're mm. about to take a penalty mm. or go out. So that it's probably to to do with that breathing. Yeah, absolutely. There's a strong relationship. Yeah. Between the brain and what's going on in the body. Yeah. That's sort of okay. So if we're going to sort of summarise three do's and, mm. and any don'ts for um, you know trying to, to sort of be a proactive approach to yeah. um, anxiety, what, yeah. what would they be for our parents? The number one, I would say, um, create spaces for conversation yeah. with your child, where you talk about emotions, where you validate what they're, um, what they're experiencing um, and allow there to be that space to talk about their emotional world. That's just part of everyday life. Yeah. Um, and do you mean it's really make a specific time? Mm. So you're naming the time sort of thing? Yeah, well, the, there's something that actually is recommended quite a lot um, for children who are struggling or families where a child is struggling with anxiety is to have something called worry time. 
Oh, okay. And, yeah, and it literally is 10 or 15 minutes a day at a set time every day when you sit down with your child and you say, let's talk about your worries. And then as worries pop up in the daytime, yeah. as they tend to do, and your child says something, you can go, fantastic, let's save that for worry time. So it stops the worry habit of worry popping up and, and infiltrating on everything. Life. Yes. It gives the message worrying is okay. And it allows you that time to be in your thinking brain when um, you're able to do more planning, more conversation, more yeah. strategizing. Yeah. Okay. So that really is very, very important. Number two, I, I would say it's really important to avoid these um, avoidance strategies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to not get in those loops with your child yes. of accommodating to the point where they are not able to function your, by themselves yeah. at an age appropriate yeah. level. So to step out of those cycles and it can be hard to do but it's a very very important thing to do yeah and i've se actually i've seen that in schools where the parent would accommodate the child doesn't want to go to school yeah so they accommodate they pick them up early then all of a sudden it's a day and then all of a sudden they don't want to go to school at all and it Absolutely. just creeps that anxiety That's as right. one exactly i mean there's an example of a family i've been working with recently where they went to swimming the little girl didn't really want to learn to swim they went to swimming she wasn't feeling great so uh, she got undressed and she said, mum, I don't feel well. She started to cry. So the mum took her home, which is probably an appropriate thing to do. The child wasn't very well. The next time they went to swimming, her brain had learned that um, she could, you know, that relief had come. Yeah. So she got really, really upset. And so they made the same accommodation. Now you've set up a pattern. Uh, so it's now important for that parent to sit down with the child and to say, look, this is what you've learnt, but this is what's going to happen next time. And what you don't want to do is for the emotion to be in charge. Right. Yeah. It's good to validate and allow emotions to be. But if emotions are in charge, if they are in the driving seat, then you're on a downward path. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the third one would really be to do with thinking about what's going on for yeah. you. So we all arrive at parenting having had our own experience of being parented, having had our own experiences of life. And some things are very triggering for us. So really knowing what's pushing your buttons is yeah. very, very important. And it's different for different parents. Now, if anxiety in your child is something that you really struggle with, it's important that you kind of Spend a bit of time thinking about that. You know, being an insightful parent is the, the most important thing to do, I think, as yeah. a parent. Um, and then tracking your reaction to your child's emotion in that moment. So you yes. really can be with them and where they are, not in your own worries yeah. about what's going on. It's difficult sometimes with teenagers. They, they, yeah. they, they're quite good at pressing your buttons occasionally, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that when you were talking about fear and anxiety, they, they are quite closely related because sometimes I, I found when you know, my, you, your children are, they're cross with you, yeah. but actually they're just fearful yes. and they're worried really. It's really and it's just point. stepping back and then perhaps yeah. coming back at it when you're... Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think there is a difference between children and teenagers. Yeah. So children are able to, um, there's a lovely phrase of cueing and miscuing. Yeah. Children cue you quite well. Yeah. They will show you when they're worried, when they're sad. Yes. Teenagers are a bit more complicated. Oh, miscuing. That's brilliant. It's yes. good. Yes. Yeah. So to, if a teenager comes home from school and they're a bit irritable, they're a bit snappy, 
you know, you might read that as anger or read it as rudeness. I would read it as there's something going on for yeah. them. And then try and have a look, try and find the right time. And with teenagers, it's all about allowing it to be much more on their time when you can really get underneath and say, what's really going on yeah. in more of an empathetic way? You know, there's definitely a place for saying it's not okay to be rude for rude to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, allowing or kind of reading that as there's something else going on. And I suppose the other thing that we know because of um, the teenage brain and the focus of the teenage brain is that social anxiety is likely to increase during the teenage years. Right. That is normal um, and something to be aware of and not to be completely kind of yeah. terrified by. Um, because to do with their need for peer integration of course, and their yeah. increase in self-consciousness and that social um, kind of um, reflection being very powerful. When they're in that time. And yeah. so for a, if, if a child did come in and feel like that, would you ever recommend that a parent um, took a moment out if they were getting angry or yeah. they were, you know, it, does it ever work to keep pushing it when, you know, you're kind no, of in that? it really doesn't. Yeah. So that's a really important point. Yeah, absolutely. If you're being triggered by it, yeah, just take a way. moment out. Sometimes you feel you failed if you don't sort it yes, out there and then, or you've got right. things on and you push it and it, it, where you write it rarely I think that's works. right. And, you know, I think there's this idea, I have to tell my child that they can't do that. Children know what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing. Um, and there will be a time for saying, listen, I could see, you know, when you get home from school and you've had a hard day, I can see that you've had a hard day. And that's fine to have some time. It's not okay to be rude to me when you come in. I wouldn't yeah. do it in the moment. I okay, would do it wait. another time. Yeah. Okay. And if we look now at more in the moment at times, and this will be uh, relevant for teachers as well, because mm. often you may get a child who has a complete meltdown before an exam, um, before they're about to go on stage, mm. uh, you know, even before they're, they're about to, you know, um, go into a certain lesson. Um, or social situation and they just have that panic attack yeah. that creates panic in everybody around them yeah. um, and, and you know I'm sure parents will, will have experienced that. what should you do yeah. in that very situation and does it depend on how old the child is yeah well ideally you would have talked about it before yeah uh, so um, but if you haven't and it's kind of come out of the blue yeah. I think we have to remember the brain model and remember that there's no point in having a long conversation okay. and explaining to them what happened, what's going on. I think I would use some of the techniques to try and get the body back in line. So yeah. probably do some breathing, take them for a walk, maybe try a little bit of distraction um, in that moment. And that what we know about emotion is that emotion, it does naturally reduce over time. And a nice analogy, actually, is if you think about when you go into a cinema from the outside, and you've, it's been light. You go into the cinema and you can't see at all. Yeah. And then gradually your sight yes. increases. Um, it's the same with emotion. When we have a panic attack or emotion, it's very, very high. And then it gradually will reduce with time. And then we can re-bring the panic attack on again by the thought. Of the, yeah. Right? That's what That's the cycle that happens. But if a child is having a real meltdown, just try and have that idea of validating, empathizing, being with, distracting, trying to get their body back in line, breathing, and seeing if they're able to push through. Now, it may be that a child can't do something in that moment, and that's okay as long as you talk about it later and you come back and then you say, okay, we're going to try again. So don't do the thing of accommodating and avoidance. Yeah. 
and allow that to continue. Are you sure that you can't make it worse? You know, sometimes mm. as a teacher, you'd think, well, I think intuitively, I think they should come for a walk with me, but they're, <gasps> yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. doing that. And you think, oh, am I going to, are they going to end up in A&E? No, I mean, they're not going to end up in A&E. And okay. it can really feel like that yeah, if yeah. you're having a panic attack. I mean, obviously, if you have a child who has some other condition, yes. you need to think about that. But no, I think it can really feel like that. But that's not going to happen. Okay. I mean, I think there is um, what the way in which we treat anxiety. And anxiety is very treatable, by the way, um, yeah. by cognitive behavioral therapy is a very you know, evidence-based treatment for anxiety. Um, but one of the things we do is, is called exposure therapy, where you gradually expose the child to the thing that they're anxious yeah, of. Of course, yeah. So going cold turkey is um, asking an enormous amount. If I'm frightened of spiders and you put a spider on top yeah, of me, that's hardcore. cold turkey. Yeah. Exposure would say, first of all, we'll look at a picture of a spider. Yeah. We'll talk about a spider. Then there'll be a spider on the other side of the room, etc. So that's exposure therapy. You gradually do it. That's ideally what you want to do if a child has a really severe fear about something. Yeah. You don't want to do the cold turkey because that is, you know, a frightening experience. Yeah. But it's pulling it all together, the link between the physical and the mental. Yeah. So that distraction is engaging other senses, I guess. Yeah. You know, taking for the exactly. walk forces them to breathe. That's right. You know, those yeah. sorts of things are are super helpful. And actually all the that's interesting what you're saying about the the exposure therapy because mm. that links to the avoidance. Yeah, that's right. That's what you're trying to avoid, Absolutely. I guess, aren't you? Absolutely. Okay, that's really yeah. interesting. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish with a question um, about social media because I think mm. um, lots of parents will will worry um, yeah. that social media might be contributing to their their child's anxiety or yeah. screen time and so on. Is there any evidence that that supports this? Mm. Um, and you know, what mm. what should parents be be doing? Yeah. So there has been quite a lot of research now done and there is no evidence that social media increases anxiety. Right. There is a very mild correlation, a, a weak correlation, if you like, between um, mental health and social media use. But just to give you an idea about the significance of that, it is greater between wearing glasses and mental health, for right, example. Okay. So. The other thing to say, it's a correlation, it's not a causation. When you break down and look at different groups, what you find is in younger teenagers, there is a correlation between high media use and anxiety, uh -huh. but that is not present in girls of other ages or in boys. Actually, what you find in most people is what, what they call a U-shaped curve. Yeah. So too much social media or not enough social media is both correlated with negative mental health. Because it's such an important, because um, not enough social media sounds a strange thing to say, yeah. but it's such a fundamental part of how they communicate Absolutely. now, isn't it? That you can't ban it. Absolutely. And I think as, as an adult, sometimes we have a, a point blank yeah. negative response to our child on the phone and we really have to get over that. So it's an important part of how young people are living their lives. I think the thing that social media gets confounded with is actually sleep. Yes. Because I think what we do know is that there is a very significant relationship between lack of sleep and mental health. Yes, absolutely. And I know you have Matthew Walker who we came do, and talked. Yes, and, we and do. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Were fantastic. Um, so it has an enormous impact on our ability to emotionally regulate and to process emotions. And what tends to happen is that the social media distracts children from sleeping. 
So that's probably more the pathway yeah. by which it's happening. And, you know, I'm not um, the kind of psychologist who tends to dictate to no, parents. I know, I know, yeah. That's not my yeah. style. But there is one thing that uh, actually Jane Gilmore, Jane and I do a lot of this work together, um, would always say is that if there's one battle to have with your child, it's to get their phone off them at night time. Yeah. So, so we, we, we can... Our militant advice really is about mm. just keep the phones out of the bedroom because yeah. it feels like you're setting the child up to fail or the teenager. They, yeah. they cannot, it's not that they're weak to, yeah. to, to be able to not be able to ignore the phone. Yeah. But actually as a parent, that's one of the sort of best things that you could do for your, yeah. for your child because it's the sleep that correlates to the anxiety. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And when I say battle, I don't mean have a real battle, but I mean it's a, it's a hard conversation to take on yeah. with your child. There's so much there, Bettina. Mm. So, so helpful. Bettina, thank you so much for your wisdom and insight. You've given us some real doable takeaways for parents and educators to really try to be proactive in reducing anxiety in our children and young people today. So thank you again for your time. Well, it's been such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And please remember that we have our Be Well comments on anxiety that we wrote together that has more information on different kinds of anxiety um, and just you know, some of the additional um, topics that, that parents are concerned about on anxiety. All of these are freely available on our website, cognita.com. 